Wednesday morning, pregame.com. Shiel Alexander, your betting dork, and I love Wednesdays, and we all know why. Sort of a dork cast. Base winner. Good morning to you, sir, for the Sabermetric show once again. How are you? I'm not happy about the Seattle game last night, but I do appreciate the uh, the dork reference because I take that as an utmost compliment, Gil. Oh, yeah. Dude, I, I believe me, I embrace it wholeheartedly myself. And uh, I, I just wish we had another, I think for the last three weeks you were coming off a sweep. You know, last night for both of us didn't work out so well. But, the, you know, the Seattle game, if, if you would have told me Verlander had eight strikeouts and only two walks and, and uh, Fister had only one strikeout and allowed nine hits, I, I probably would have, would have loaded up on that, you know, based, based on, the, on the box score. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, you're kind enough to say I come off sweeps uh, the last uh, few weeks each week, and, uh, you know, I try not to – I try to keep that in perspective, and I'll keep this one in perspective too – you know, you got to tip your hat to Seattle in the end. Yeah, Fister for giving up all those hits early. Sure knew how to work his way out of jams, didn't he? Well, I think that there was one key play there where, where Kelly just ripped the ball and that the second baseman just happened to be moving back in that direction uh, as, a, as a runner was stealing. He kind of moved back and, and caught the ball. That ball goes through. We're, we're looking at a different situation, but I, I think that, you know, Watching that game, I don't see really where Fister is all that, and, and and you know maybe I'm missing something. And I looked at the like you talked about the pitch FX, and and I'm just certainly just not that impressed with him. He pitched to a four five five yesterday, and you know that's kind of what I expected. So he, he might be the guy to play against, especially now if he's going to be on the road. Uh, you know, to take a look at that down the line. Yeah, I would actually agree with that. I mean, you know, that's why they call it gambling, right? Sometimes it doesn't work out, even if even if you have it pegged, you know, who knows, cor- maybe correctly. Sometimes it just doesn't work out, and that's, you know, that's how the, the cookie crumbles sometimes. But, um, you know, and then the other game uh, last night, the Oakland game, is a whole different story with an injury. But that's how the cookie crumbles. That's how the ball bounces. Whatever your favorite little cliche is, that's how it works out sometimes. But you know what? It's... It happens. You move on. If you don't see anything, you know, endemic, endemically wrong to uh, what your thinking was, then no sweat. You just move on to the next day. And I know you have your thoughts uh, on today's games. You shot me an interesting email yesterday uh, regarding my show yesterday about uh, the future of Sabermetrics. I'd love for you to sort of share that thought, your thoughts about that with everyone. Well, and, I, and I'd love to do that, Gil, and and I love your show yesterday. You talked about, I think, you you know, somebody had brought up, well, you know what, Gil, we've, we've done all the sabermetric research, you know, well, is, it, is it all done? And and your thought on that is, is along my line, is that no, we, we have a tremendous amount of, of work to do. And and you had mentioned the vector and the angle analysis, which was, was very interesting to me. And I think that, that you can even break down an at-bat into a pitch-by-pitch sequence, and there's there's companies out there that are doing this for Major League Baseball, so that they're taking a look. And if you think about it, you look at and let's take a look at the Don Kelly at bat yesterday, where you know he gets let Fister gives him a good pitch to hit, he lie he rips it, but yet in the box score it's going to be an out. So I think taking a look at a pitch by pitch sequence, or how many times do you see a guy get a fat ball and he misses it, so it looks like well hey the pitcher you know did great on that particular pitch, but in reality, the pitcher served him a meatball. The guy just missed it. 
So, you know, and, and conversely, how many times do you see a guy, you know, paint the corner with a killer slider and the, and the hitter makes just an incredible swing on the ball to get a hit, and that's going to affect that pitcher, that pitcher's statistics in a negative way where he actually made a pretty good pitch. So I think this pitch-by-pitch analysis, I, 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 I'm really looking forward to, to how this develops further because I think it will give us more of a precise uh, indication of how good these players are, which, you know, in turn, I mean, let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, we want this information because we want to get a gambling edge. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's, that's the main thing. I, you, I have to stress over and over, and so forgive me for doing so, but, yeah, I choose and you choose to use sabermetrics for a purpose. We are not guys who work in a baseball front office. We're not guys who just enjoy creating formulas for our own sort of amusement. Our goal is to convert it all into a gambling edge. That's what we do on a daily basis. To your point, that is a fascinating way that sabermetrics looks like it will go. The actual a pitch-by-pitch analysis. So what you're saying then, if I'm to understand, is the ability to sort of cluster information into meaningful um, results that show how batters and pitchers behave on certain counts in certain situations, that sort of thing. Absolutely. You just you just go in depth on each pitch and and I think that the you know, from a gambling side we can use that to get an advantage. And I think that you know, and it's it's interesting. I think a lot of the front offices aren't aren't alluding to what they're using right now. And I think it's more of like a spy versus spy thing where we don't know how in depth these guys are getting. But if you look at the payrolls I mean, these, these teams have an average of a $90 million payroll. I mean, if they're not looking at this stuff, uh, they're, they're missing the boat. I think you're right. I think we also, you know, one of the things that I remember um, a sports talk show host saying years ago when I was growing up in D.C., and he always used to say this, he goes, you know, we, we know that there are doctors who aren't as good as other doctors. We know that some lawyers are not as good as others. He goes, for whatever reason, we assume that, people who have jobs in major league front offices are all extremely smart and ought to be there. And he says, it's just like any other profession. He goes, you'd be surprised. They're just not bright sometimes. And there are always going to be a few who stand above the fray who are sort of forward thinkers. Let me, let me clarify what I said yesterday on the show. Um, because only part of what I had to say was a prediction. Part of what I was saying was actually already in motion. And that is the hit FX functionality in these ballparks is already going into place and the what I was trying to say yesterday is that these front offices intend they have already sort of shown their cards they intend to use this new technology and I got into vector and analysis and the angle of the ball off bats that's all happening and they intend to use this information for defensive uh, sabermetric purposes to assess how many runs saved or lost each fielder has out there. But what I was sort of predicting was just an offshoot of that. I didn't make that previous part up. I was just predicting that they're going to get into a situation where they're going to be able to quantify angles off bats and how successful certain batters are usually uh, with the way the ball happens to come off their bat. That's just a that's just a prediction. Who knows if I'm right? Who knows if I'm wrong? But I think that would be interesting to know then in the same way I, we kind of use BABIP for pitchers, hmm, which batters are actually getting lucky based on their based on the way they usually make contact versus which are getting unlucky 
on the way they're usually making contact. Did that make sense, you think? Yeah, no, I absolutely think it makes sense. I mean, and, and uh, they've got this information, which is fairly recent. If you think about how, how long baseball's been around, I think this pitch FX is maybe three to four years old, and it's just a matter of how they're going to use this information. But the fact that, you know, you were talking about uh, angles and pitch angles and, and, and ball off bat angles, and, and they can actually analyze every pitch now. I think that we're going to just see just, I mean, publicly available to us, uh, you know, real advanced metrics that we're not seeing right now. So it comes back to, well, are we done with sabermetrics and is, this, is it going to stop here? And I would argue that I think we're just in the childhood of sabermetrics. I think they've got a long way to go. I think we're going to be pretty amazed, you know, 10 years from now, you know, the metrics, the actual precision that we can evaluate a player and conversely a team. You know, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot different. Maybe not a lot different, but I think it's going to be, there's going to be some differences 10 years from now than, you know, than, than we have right now. That's interesting you say the childhood. I would say the teen years uh, of the childhood, because I think we've certainly gone through the amazing puberty part of it. Um, but I do think there is more growth to come for sure. By the way, just to clarify what you say, uh, what you said, pitch FX already exists. Hit FX is what's sort of coming up next in terms of the analysis. So, and those also require, like pitch FX, all these, you know, ballparks have these cameras already installed. Hit FX, it's being installed right now as we speak. So this is all something that's moving forward. I will tell you what my two, if I were, you know, the sabermetrics wizard, the two sabermetrics that I would like to see in the future that for me would be the most useful moving forward in our saber capping uh, lives because that's what you and I care about the most. The two exactly. are the two are this. I would love for them to come up, and this sort of touches on our discussion here at the outset, which is I'd love for them, and when I say them, I'm talking about the people in the labs, because I'm certainly not going to get in there and crunch numbers and kind of come up with a formula that works. But if the sabermetricians of the world could come up with a formula that quantifies the runs in scoring position element of this. So in other words, the ability to somehow come up with a nice, cozy, little, easy-to-understand metric that in a blink of an eye can tell us how a Doug Fister last night behaves with runners on second and third, for instance, with one out um, in a close ball game. That sort of thing... I don't think we have, sure we have runners in scoring position percentages and that kind of thing, but I'm not sure we have a saber metric that delves into it precisely situationally. And especially when pertaining to an individual player. I mean, I can tell you that, that the, the probability of a guy scoring from third base with, with uh, one out, when there's one out runner on third, I mean, it's 54%. You know, that's one of the things to me is just maddening when they can't get the guy in. So I looked that up the other day, and you know what? It's actually just a little bit more than half the time. So when I get when you get fired up when that team can't get the dude in from third base, it's really a half and half shot. But I think if you could, and and, and they'll be able to do this, and you make a good point to actually break it down. It's like, well, how come Fister is so much better at stranding runners? than the average pitcher and maybe maybe it's because of the way the ball breaks you know and and uh, you can definitely see this 
as your wheels are turning, well, so in fact are wheels of, of management and, and key personnel and major league organizations that are thinking the same thing. Yeah. Because I think from a strategy standpoint, every little advanced piece of information is going to give that team an edge. And when you're talking a, a payroll of $90 million, I mean, these guys can afford to hire some, some real hardcore mathematicians in their organization. Yeah, and when, I, and when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about pitcher versus the batters of a specific team that they'll be playing that night, and then a way to sort of um, aggregate that number into a sort of convenient metric that allows us to see a certain pitcher against the lineup that particular night. I want to saber cap even more with that number. You know what I mean? Like, if I have that, I'm like, okay, and then in a jam, here's what this guy does against this team kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I can totally see where you're going, and, and, and you make a really good, like, hey, well, gosh, what, I wish I could see this. And, and, and I think that I would say, and, and I don't even think I'm going out on a limb, I think that they'll be able to quantify this. We're going to see some really advanced metrics that's going to be not only, not only cool from a fan standpoint, but really profitable from a betting standpoint. All right, and- I think we're sitting in the golden age, personally. And that's why it excites me so much, you know, and, and to listen to a show like yours yesterday when you're talking vectors, you're talking angles, and I'm just getting excited. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know what, if we, if we play this thing the right way, uh, you know, and I think there's a smart group of people here at pregame, if we play this thing the right way, we can make money on it. How exciting is that? Tell, tell the truth, though, Baze Winter. When you were listening to me talking about vectors and angles yesterday, because I know <laughs> in my head I'm going, well, there goes half the audience. Were you, were you thinking to yourself, okay, maybe, we, maybe we've gone too far with vectors and angles? I, I, don't, I don't know. I was, I was think, to be honest, I was thinking that, man, this, he's getting really in-depth here. This is, this is cool, and maybe we can get an edge on it because I think the more in-depth and more that, that people are turned off by certain things, then, you know, in a gambling market, we're going to have an advantage. But, uh, you know, people think we're dorks, but like I said, I take that as a, as a high compliment. Oh, I do as well. Hey, so, so before we get to your leans of the day, or your, not only your leans, but your plays of the day, I got one more, one more saber metric I'd like to see, if you, if you will indulge me. I got one more thing spinning in my head. I would like a, the first ever, now, now roll with me here, base winner, you'll like this. I would like to see the first ever managerial saber metric. I would like the 30, hold on, the 30 major league baseball managers to somehow be uh, tracked on their willingness or their reticence to lift pitchers from games. So I want a saber metric that will tell me when betting, how skittish <laughs> or loyal, if you will, a manager would be to a pitcher in certain situations of a game. You know, down one run, this inning, uh, this many outs, runners on these kind of, bases. Kind of maybe, maybe they could call it cringe, C-R-I-N-G-E. Is Cr- it making you cringe when they're keeping these guys in? Yeah. Or conversely, if they're pulling a guy when they, they got, why are you pulling this dude to put in your your... 5.1x fifth middle reliever. I mean, so maybe maybe they could they could make it call it the cringe stat. Yeah, and I want to know, and I want to know which pitcher also is most uh, is most likely uh, from the other side of it 
to be pulled or most likely like obviously Roy Halladay I don't care who his manager is right Charlie Manuel's going to keep him in the game but most managers are going to keep a guy like Roy Halladay in the game but I'd like to know if Dallas Braden just you know using the most recent example if Dallas Braden has a hangnail in the fourth inning let's say right and Bob Guerin is his manager, will he get lifted from the game? That kind of thing. That's obviously an exaggeration. That, well, no, no, that's fresh in your head because it makes a good point because, you know, here we're ha- handicapping a game and we're thinking that, that and we'll t- take the Braden thing. You know, we're thinking this guy's going to go six and a half, seven innings, and he goes out, and who knows what happened. Maybe he, he legitimately hurt his ankle, but he goes out because he's got a hangnail, you know, and, and you know, Guerin's a guy that, that uh, it, you know, coddles these pitchers. I think it might be a great stat, you know, to actually look, you know, to give you like an expected inning pitch on the starting pitcher. I like it, Gil. Yeah, the, well, well, thank you. I think the Braden thing, and thank you for your comments about yesterday's show, I think Braden's is obviously an, is an exaggeration that I use fresh in mind. But in general, we'd love to know, you know, a team with a shaky bullpen. Like last night, um, I don't know, it didn't, didn't sort of play out this way last night, but I'm saying in general, if we're playing a team, if there's a game between the Diamondbacks and anybody, right, and let's say Ian Kennedy is on the mound for the Diamondbacks, we really want to know how far Ian Kennedy's going in a game because we really want to know how much of the bullpen um, is going to be a factor here. And it goes beyond how many average innings pitched Ian Kennedy you know, gets in a game. We right, have those right. stats already. No, I see where you're going. You know, it's like the hook factor. It's, I, I'm surprised this, this stat hasn't out there as you're talking about it. Well, I'm surprised this stat's not out there. I mean, the, the, like the percentage of a hook factor. Because some managers do have the tendency to, to pull a guy before he, he should be pulled, and other guys wait until he's just done, and the game's done until they do it. So I love the stat. I think that's a, that's a really good thought, Gil. Hook. Hook is actually better than cringe, I think. I think you came up with it I think, right there. Yeah, maybe, depending on how you look at it. But the hook factor, you just, like, because some guys, some guys have different, different propensities for that. Okay, I got nothing else. That's, that's, those are the only two off the top of my head right now. All right, so it is a Wednesday. There are day games, and I know you have been busy in the lab coming up with your numbers and you've got some plays today, so what are you thinking? You know, I've got I've got some really uh, good examples of how to use splits, and I think that you know, when we're talking about splits, we're talking about home and away numbers, road or, or uh, left versus right numbers, and we're talking about that, and it's timely because this is about the time in the season where I start breaking teams down as how they do versus left, how they do versus right. The home away numbers have a little bit more meaning for me, and uh, you know, so I'm I'm gonna try to show you how I, I I use the splits in my daily handicapping process to come up with a with a run number for not only the the, the hitting but as the pitching as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I'd love to hear it. Okay, and if you if you notice today, and uh, I've I've posted the splits for the AL uh, on on my form, the BSR splits that break it break the Offensive numbers down four different ways, plus the total way. Okay, let's go. We're going to we're going to Kansas City. We got a day game over there, and I like Kansas City here. The line uh, is right around a pick em, I think. Uh, well, actually, Texas is favored at minus one fourteen, and based on the analysis I did, I have Kansas City actually should be favored in this game, and I have at minus. 125. So we're looking at about a 39-point swing in the line, and I think that's pretty big. So you got to ask, well, 
wow, why, why do you have such a difference than Vegas? And indulge me for two seconds. I'll try to break it down as quickly as possible. Okay, well, let's take a look at Texas. And Texas is offense. At home, their BSR, their expected run, is 5.4. But on the road, they're at 3.5. Hmm. I mean, that's almost a two-run difference. And what's funny about Texas is if you look at the, and I know the team's a little bit different this year, but if you look at last year's uh, uh, home road splits, they were, they were down on the road as well last year. So I, I really think that, that Texas on the road, you really have to look at the other side, at least until they prove differently. Now, the other thing that, that, that I like in this game in Kansas City, you know, Kansas City versus right-handed pitching, okay, 5.05 BSR, pretty high-level BSR. So now I'm looking and we look at Feldman, and Feldman – now, I think that you've talked about him on previous podcasts, a lucky guy. Well, yeah. he's, got, he's got a 4.7 XFIP is, is what I have him rated as. He's a lot better at home than on the road. Now, Hochaber, he's, he's got the exact different thing. He's, he's much better at home than on the road. So his ex- adjusted XFIP that I gave him was a 4.35, and that's basically how I came up with the line disparity for this game. Yeah, Feldman actually these days appears to be a very unlucky pitcher based on BABIP. But, you know, this is one of those things where I always say to people, I'm like, okay, well, we have access to numbers. Everyone does. It's a question of interpreting them. And you can choose to believe or not believe certain numbers. Or I don't know if believe is the right word, but you can sort of weight the importance of a certain number. Scott Feldman's not a guy who induces a lot of confidence, period, in me, you know, or, or I think in a lot of people. He's a really tall pitcher who doesn't – he's not one of these tall pitchers who seems to have everything in, in working order. In other words, it seems like it's a struggle from him, for him from start to start, and, it, and you can tell very early in his starts if all his mechanics – it's almost like he's got to get all his limbs aligned you know, properly for everything to work out perfectly for him. And he's not one of these guys, to me, who has seemed to harness that on a regular basis. So – you know, he's that's one of those numbers, BABIP for for Feldman, three fifty seven right now, which is which is really high actually. Which I sort of look at and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if he's being so unlucky. You know, I actually think. Well, and you make you make a good point. I think Dan was talking about about it on the, on his show yesterday about Correa and his numbers and is is this guy really this number? And I think you've got to look at the numbers, but you also got to look at form. And you're looking at at Feldman, and you're you're thinking, man, this guy's not, not that great. And, and I think that, that the numbers that I gave him, his run number, 4.7, eh, I think, he, you know, based on looking at him, I think he's about a 4.7. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. So I like that. So the, so the BSR numbers are particularly powerful, which you just mentioned, both the Rangers on the road and then the uh, Royals against righties. Absolutely, and I think that this is something when you look at this, this adjusted run number you, you, you make for a team, you, you look at all these things, you know, where they're at, who they're facing, and it makes a difference. And I tell you, it's taken me off a couple of games that I would have I played. I like Detroit today. If you look at the splits, it did not add up. I stayed off that game. So, I mean, I think that looking at the splits is a really good idea, and if they back up, you know, what, what, your, what your lean is, then it's all, hey, all systems go, baby. Okay. Feldman, by the way, just scoring at home is 6'5". I'm not sure if I uh, called out his exact height earlier. If I did, 
that's his, his actual listed height is 6'5". Um, so you like the Royals early. What else you got? Well, I'm going to go over to the game that you had last, yesterday, the Oakland-Baltimore game. And I'm looking at these offenses, and I'm, I'm just shaking my head because they look awful. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it doesn't make sense for Baltimore, quite frankly. Well, Baltimore last year at home was so good. And this year they're a little bit better, but they're they're a full run less at home this year than they were last year. So I don't know what's going on there. But if you look across, if you look at the, the way that they handled lefties last year and this year, they didn't hit them good last year and they're not hitting them good this year. They're at a 3.9 BSR and uh, this year and 3.96 last year. So you're looking, they face a lefty in Cahill. You're looking to see based on what we've seen in the past, you know, you've got to assign them a low, a low BSR. And I was actually generous with Baltimore. I gave them a four-one because that's their home number right now. So, so I gave them a generous four-one for their offensive number. And with Oakland, they're even worse versus left-handed pitching this year. And if you look at if you look at last year's trend, they were worse versus left-handed pitching too. So you're seeing I'm trying to balance these these numbers from a sample size between this year and last year, but this year they're at 3.62 runs. That's horrible. Not only that, they're at 3.37 runs on the road, which is, I mean, that's not very good. And so, anyway, to make a long story short, and even given Cahill, I gave him a high run rate, and I gave him a 4.9. Not so much with with Mattis. Mattis I, I still like, and I think that there's some, some auxiliary numbers that I, I, I examined a little bit in depth. And I gave him a 4-3. So bottom line, we're going to go under in this game. It's at 8.5. I have the runs at 7.88. Well, when, what is the number? Is 8.5, you said? 8.5. Eight, eight okay. So about about three-quarters of a run less is what you've got it at. I got it at 8.5. So, I mean, if you can get 9, I, I think that you I mean, knock people over running to the window to play it. Okay. The under in the A's. Baltimore game. I don't think there's anybody listening to that, you know, a baseball fan who's going to think that that doesn't make much sense, or is, or that that isn't a possibility, you know, just based on no, those this, two this, ball clubs. This team's just just terrible offense. The only thing that really kind of concerns me there is the park factors. I mean, you got to think about that. Camden Yards is a notorious over ballpark, you know, over the ten year stretch. But I think over the last two years, it's been somewhat of a neutral field. So, you know, you you got to look at everything, but. But if you look at these offenses, they're putrid, and until they prove differently, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least lean that way. And then t- taking a look at the splits, the splits certainly back up the underplay there. Yeah, and the A's just, you know, the A's just play terribly on the road. They've lost 13 of 15, so you can't really expect them to explode with offense, that's for sure. And, you know, we, we talked, and not only did I talk about it, but, I mean, it was it was – on the threads from some pretty hardcore individuals, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about Mike Cook. I think that guy's a really good evaluator of talent. He's seen this guy pitch this Maddox guy live. He had a lot of high things to say about him. All that's in the back of my mind, and that's kind of why I shaded him down to a four-three. So, I mean, maybe this is the this is the day that Maddox breaks out and just shuts him down. Mike Hook, by the way, is I'm going to say this right now. He is unbelievably sharp on lots of sports he doesn't talk so much during baseball season because he's known more for 
he doesn't talk about his baseball uh, prowess very often because he's known more for college basketball, for football, and a host of other sports. And so baseball, he sort of tempers his tone, but I will tell you right now, he is just as sharp in baseball, even though he won't toot his own horn about it. So, yeah, make no mistake, Hook Hook is just ridiculously sharp and a real unbelievable asset. As much as people know how big of an asset he is to pregame, multiply that by 10, in my opinion. Like, he's really a special kind of handicapper. And he's right about well, Mattis. I totally, I totally agree, and I just, I love listening to his take. And like you said, he's very understated. But I mean, his results have been really good. So if he, and 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 so in this particular situation, he's talking about Mattis, who's down from San Diego, played at San Diego State. I, I, I do believe our USD, one of the one of the local schools there. So he's got in-depth knowledge of this guy. I'm going to listen to Mike Cook. I'm, I'm, I mean, one of the sharpest guys that that pregame has. He's saying that Mattis is is, is a stud. You know, I'm, I'm definitely going to take that into account. Yeah, and he's the uh, he's the jewel of the uh, Orioles organization in terms of the young pitchers. I wonder if the Orioles are getting to the point this year, because Mattis has had a couple outings now where it has not been good for him, um, which isn't to say over the long term it won't be. I have no doubt that it will be. But I do wonder if, if the Orioles are like, oh, God, we have to have this guy be great, because, other, you know, other, <laughs> otherwise we're really toast. Well, one of the things, and I, I didn't get a chance to, to talk about this while I was breaking the game down, but he's he's much better at home than he is on the road. And, you know, maybe he needs to get adjusted to the travel schedule, you know, to being, you know, a full-time major league player. I mean, it, you know, think about traveling. It's not very fun. I had to go back to Philadelphia this weekend, and it was hard on me. So, you know, maybe these guys need to adjust. He's a young guy, and it's interesting because he's, he's pitched much better at home. So I, I look for him today to shut him down. Kansas City is your first pick, and then the Orioles Athletics Under is your second pick. What else you got, base winner? Okay, now this is like the marquee matchup of the night, and I always like playing the marquee matchup of the night. And, you know, but I will say that if I didn't like it, I'd back off. But I really like this game. It's the New York-Minnesota game, and they're in Minnesota, and I have Minnesota as a minus-135 favorite. And the books only have Minnesota. It's actually gone down a little bit. They have them at minus 113. So we're looking at 22 points in value. And, and I really like, and this is, a, this is another good example of using splits and, and uh, you know, how you can apply them into your handicapping. And, and what jumped out at me about Liriano is he is much better at home than on the road. So I gave him an, an assignment of three eight, and Pettit's about split split. He he does okay on at home and the road, not really a discernible difference. I gave him a four three. So that's pretty much where I think the disparity uh, is is in the line because you know New York and Minnesota offensively versus lefties, they're bashing. And and it's funny because we talked about the, the Minnesota uh, offense earlier in a thread, you know, in, in spring training when you said, hey, you know what's interesting about the that last year's splits is that they've got this this really powerful left-handed lineup, but they're pretty good versus left-handed pitching as well. Yeah, and they are pretty good against left-handed pitchers. That's the thing about Minnesota, and that actually bears out last year, too. They're almost exactly as proficient against left-handed pitchers as they are against right-handed, which is sort of is a very interesting phenomenon with them. Liriano, who you've got going today, is also interesting. I sort of sort of relate him to Tommy Hansen from a sabermetrics perspective. I was talking about, or I was writing about Tommy Hansen 
uh, in my write-up today on the pregame forum thread. But Liriano is, in many ways, the sabermetrics darling of the early season. Maybe besides Timmy Lincecum, who might still hold that crown right now. But Liriano is a sabermetrics darling at this point. Uh, beyond what you're saying, he's got the th- you know a tie for the third lowest uh, fielding independent pitching mark in all of baseball. And he has that coupled with an indication that he's been extremely unfortunate thus far this year with a 332 BABIP. So it indicates that as good as he's been, he may even be better in the future. Um, and so that's also sort of adding to your take on the Twins line being, you know, very generous today. Yeah, and I think I think that, that the 3-8, uh, you know, number I gave Lariano, I think it's well justified based on, on his ancillary figures that you decided. Uh, one of the other things, I just want to touch on this, and then and then I'll, I'll, I'll sign off here at my end, but uh, the Yankees, are, are the DSR at home is over six runs, but on the road, they're about a run and a half less at 4.6. That's very interesting to me. Yeah, and the Yankees always have a, and, and, and you know, you talk about the, you know, the discrepancy in the line. Let's face it, there's no more public team than the New York Yankees. That's always a built-in factor. Always. And I, I think this is a game where, where we can we can exploit that, and it's it's pretty surprising that we're basically saying that the oddsmakers are basically saying that this matchup's a pick 'em. I don't think the numbers support it. We'll see how it bears out. But the other so the, so so wrapping this up, um, I like Minnesota, and I also like the over in this in this game as well. I, I think Minnesota's going to tee off on Pettit. I really do. I, I you know they're at five point two seven versus left-handed. And that's a pretty high BSR. Pettit, to me, he's a better-than-average pitcher. And I think that the, the New York bullpen, I, I, you know, they're, they're experiencing some mojo problems. Does it bother you at all, though, um, base winner, and this is, you know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons, not just the only reason, but one of the reasons that I stayed off this game, because I kind of, you know, I kind of do buy into just from you know sabermetrics aside when i'm listening to what you're saying i actually do i always love when sort of my real world sensibilities confirm the minutiae that you're talking about i actually do buy into the fact that pettit's performance against the rays last time out where he gave up six earned runs on nine hits in five innings i could see a guy of pettit's age that being a sort of portend of things to come like in other words could he really have kept pace with his early season performance and I'm thinking probably not, and maybe that Tampa Bay performance indicates something. So on, on that perspective, I, I can buy into it. But does it bother you, and this is one of the reasons that I stayed off, that we're talking about a double-header situation today, and that that's inevitably going to, or invariably going to do some things with the lineups? Well, it, it, it will to, to an extent. I don't know if you'll see it maybe offensively, but I think that you're playing four innings you know, on a suspended game, and I think that you might see it in the bullpens. I personally think Minnesota's bullpen's very well balanced, and I think they've done a good job over the years of this. And I think they've done, and, and I think the Yankees, you know, they've got some problems in that in that in that bullpen. They're, they may be able to iron them out, but I think that that the volatility, to me, it's something you definitely have to consider. But I don't think it's going to make a difference, and I think we're getting value here. 
uh, with Minnesota. And one thing I want to say about the total is I have it at 9.18 runs. I got it at 8.5. It's it's showing 9 right now. If you can get it at 8.5 play over, if it's at 9, I would say just pass on it. Okay. All right, so a little uh, caveat to your your play right there. I accept. Okay, I have it at 9.18 runs, uh, estimated runs. So if you can get 8.5 on it, fire away. If it's at 9, it's a no play. Okay, so your picks on the day, you like the Royals early against the Rangers, you like the under in the Athletics-Orioles game, and you like the Twins in the Liriano-Pettit matchup, which is game two uh, tonight, and you like the over in that same game two between the Twins and the Yankees, if you can get it at eight and a half. Gil, you're, you so eloquently put that. You make sense of everything. <laughs> yeah, it's just a recap is all that is, basically. <laughs> Base winner. Thank you. I appreciate but, it. But the way you present things, you know, I'll, go, I'll go 90 million ways, and, and then you just break it down to say, okay, this is what he said, guys. And I love it. So anyway, uh, uh, thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure being on today and, and talking about sabermetrics as usual. Base winner, we'll do it again next Wednesday, my friend, and I will, I will look for your thread on a daily basis, and I especially look forward to your base run stats. Well, I appreciate that. I, I look forward to posting them, and I hope people could, can use them to, to beat the book. Base winner, Gil Alexander, your betting dork, pregame.com. Thank you, as always, for listening. Base winner on again next Wednesday.